Father God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and to worship you in spirit and truth. In Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name. Your name, Lord God, is the name that is above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord. You're Lord of the universe, you're Lord of the earth, and you're Lord of our lives. And we humbly submit to you this morning. And Lord, have your way as we look into your word. Speak to our hearts individually. And we just thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Man, it's so great to be here this morning. And just a quick recap, quick summary. The book of Galatians has been called by some theologians the gospel of grace. Okay? And this is, I believe, our third, our fourth message going through the book of Galatians. And we looked at the, uh, the foundation of the gospel of grace, which was this. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And basically what that means is, by God's grace and our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved by that and that alone. There's no works. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by good deeds. But we're saved based on what Jesus did for us at the cross. Then we looked at, um, the week after that, I believe we looked at the five marks. The five marks of grace. We talked about grace is like a freight train. When it hits you, it changes your life. And things change, things change in your life. They begin to change there becomes a loyalty to Jesus Christ in your life, a commitment to being his word, a commitment to prayer, a commitment to standing for him in tough times. And then I believe the third week after that, we looked at Paul's passion. Paul was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission to spread this message of grace, to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was focused and you know, the Bible gives us the blueprint of Paul's passion, but I believe because it's the inspired word of God, that's the blueprint for all Christians, is to have that exact same passion. And the passion is going to continue this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and we're looking this morning at verses 11 through 21. Let's go ahead and read it, and then I'll give you a couple more introductory thoughts. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In verse 15, we'll stop after this verse. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. 
And God, just speak to our hearts this morning as we study it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Question for you this morning. What comes to your mind when you hear the word hypocrite? What comes to your mind when you hear the word hypocrite? Some people think about politicians. If you watch the news nightly, you'll see examples of politicians saying one thing and, and doing another. Sometimes we think of, uh, of religious leaders who fall. They say one thing from the pulpit. They say one thing in their, in their church, but then they go out and they do just the opposite. That's one of the things. Hypocrisy is, is, is when we say one thing and we do another. But that was not the definition of the word hypocrite in the first century. The, the, the ancient word, the word that we, that we have for hypocrite comes from the ancient word called hypocrite. And it means an actor, a stage player. It, it means a mask. It's what they would wear when they performed their plays in the Greek theaters and in the ancient world. They would be hypocrites. And they would wear these masks. And this is an actual photo from, from a, an archaeology discovery from the first or possibly second century. But these were masks that the people would wear. And they would call them hypocrites, from whence we get the word English word hypocrite. In Christianity, though, the word hypocrite, hypocrisy, it has, it has a different meaning. But I just want to go ahead and nail down a good definition of, of, what a of what a hypocrite means. First off is this. Hypocrite is not a Christian failing to live up to the standard. Because even believers fall. Even believers sin and miss the mark from time to time. But a hypocrite is when you say one thing and you proclaim one thing and you stand on one thing, but then you go somewhere else and you put a mask on and you live the opposite the way. We all have a fight. We all have a fight within us. We're all in a war against sin. We're all growing in sanctification and growing in dedication and our commitment to the Lord and growing in holiness. But hypocrite is when you deliberately say one thing and you go somewhere else and you put on a mask. And the greatest, the, the greatest thing that hypocrisy affects is what? It affects our witness. And it affects our relationship with the Lord. Because we're, be, um, we're called to be real. We're called to be authentic. And Christians struggle. Christians wrestle. But we're called to be authentic. The battle is real. But by God's grace, we will prevail. And we have struggles. This morning, I want to share with you, as we go through this text, Five pitfalls of hypocrisy. Five pitfalls of hypocrisy. How many of y'all like a good confrontation? Okay, we got a couple. I don't. Confrontations are not fun. They're not the most exciting thing to go through. And I imagine it would be the same for the Apostle Paul because we see other places in Scripture where he struggles with his speech. He struggles with people. He has difficult time talking and communicating with people but not here in this text. And the reason he doesn't struggle with, with his confrontation with Peter is because the doctrine of justification by faith is on the line. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Look, look at verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, we'll start with verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, 
came to Antioch. Very strong phrases here. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What we have here is a colossal confrontation from two of the main men, the two of the main apostles of Christianity, Peter and Paul. And the first question I have to ask is, why, why, it says, verse 11 says, why does he say, I opposed him to his face? Why does he say, in my version, the NASB says, it says, he stood condemned. The reason why Paul was so passionate about this and so confrontational with Peter, because as we're going to see later on in this passage, the doctrine of justification by faith was on the line. This was a pivotal point in church history. The church was just beginning to establish Jesus had come, he died on the cross, he rose from the, grave, rose from the grave, he established the new covenant, and now grace is in effect. And they're spreading the message of grace. But back at Antioch and back at Jerusalem, which was heavily populated by Jews, they were a lot of people still holding on to the law. But we see clearly throughout Galatians in our book, in our study through Corinthians, that a person was saved by grace through faith alone, not by no works of the law. So Paul has to go to Peter and, and, and hit this head on. Hit this, hit this head on. There are doctrines in the Bible that we go to the stake over. There, there, are, there, are, there are things that we go to the stake over and there's things that we don't go to the stake over. Things that we, we drive our stake in the ground and we stand firm on is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his resurrection, his virgin birth, the authority and inspiration of Scripture. Then there's certain things that we don't. I'm, I'm a young earth guy. I'm a young earth. I, I believe the universe is six or seven, maybe 8,000 years old. And I believe in the young earth, you know, literal seven-day creation not too long ago. There may be Christians here that believe in the gap theory and long ages we don't we don't divide over that we don't divide over that we don't divide over non-essentials but over essentials like the doctrine of justification by faith we have to stand our ground we have to stand our ground and paul does that could you imagine if he wouldn't have stood the ground it would christianity would have went forward and it would have been like okay you want to be right with god trust in jesus and obey the law do you see what that does that puts the work of salvation in our corner as if something that we could do when the clear testimony of scripture is that it's by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8, 9, and 10 is clearly his work so anyway Peter, uh, Paul's going to uh, confront uh, Peter let's, let's look at it verse 12 for prior to the coming of certain men from James he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. The scene is there at Antioch, and Peter, my friend, has got a mask on. He's got a mask on for the Jews, and he's got a mask on for the Gentiles. When the Jews weren't there, he's eating with the Gentiles. He's celebrating grace. He's eating bacon. He's eating pork chops, and he's having a good old time, a good old celebration. And as soon as the Jews come rolling in town, the Jews that were abiding by the, um, by, by the law and the dietary laws, they come into town, he would slide away from the Gentiles. Oh, I'm not part of them. Because I know that you Jewish Christians, 
are still following the dietary laws. So he's playing, he's playing both parties. He, 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 he's playing both parties. But check this out, guys. Peter knew the truth. We can go back and look at the book of Acts and know that Peter knew the truth of grace. In Acts chapter 10, there was this Roman centurion. His name was Cornelius. He was in Caesarea. And the Bible says that he was praying. He was praying. He was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He says he was a very pious Gentile. He was a Roman general, and he gave generously to the Jews. But anyway, he is praying, and he is seeking the Lord. And the Lord gives him a vision and says, send your men to Joppa and go get Peter and bring Peter back because Peter has a message for you, Cornelius. So he sends, so um, he is at uh, Caesarea. He sends his men to Joppa, and at Joppa, Peter, about the sixth hour, the scripture says, he was up on the roof and he was very hungry. And the scripture says he fell into a trance. He had a vision. And in this vision, God brought this sheet down from heaven. And on top of the sheet was all these living creatures. All these living creatures of all different types of animals. And, the, and, and then God says to him, he says, Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. Rise up, kill, and eat. He's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Lord? What's this all about? He says, what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. And he was giving him, he was giving Peter this vision in preparation for Peter to go down and share the gospel with Cornelius. Because Cornelius was a Gentile, and the Jews had this mindset that they were the frozen chosen, and they were the only ones that God would save. You know, there was this, this thought that Gentiles were fires for the logs of hell. They had a very low view of the Gentile world. But Peter gets this vision. God had already shown him. So Peter travels to uh, Cornelius' house in Caesarea, shares the gospel with him. He gets saved. The Bible says he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The Jews that were with Peter saw it, and it says that they were amazed, and they were like, wow, God is truly accepting the Gentiles on the basis of grace and not by works. So they all travel back to Antioch, they travel back to Jerusalem, and they make this report. So I tell you that whole story to say Peter knew. Peter knew grace. Peter knew that it was by grace through faith alone in Christ. But he's struggling like we all do. He's struggling and he's wrestling with this transition in Christianity going from the law to grace going from the law to grace. And so the first pitfall that I see in this text that we could talk about today, the first pitfall of hypocrisy is this, is that when we know the truth and then we deny it. When we clearly know what the Bible teaches, we clearly know what the word says, and then we go somewhere else and we deny that truth. That, my friend, is the uh, first pitfall of hypocrisy we got to take what we learn from our bible take god's word let it soak deep in our heart and let it be lived out in our daily life amen we got to take a stand and i know there's times where it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be challenging and there's gonna be a lot of pressure and your knees are gonna be knocking and your palms are all sweaty but we got to stand for the truth we got to stand for the truth we, got, we can't say one thing and then live the oppositely. You know? Now, I'm not talking about being per perfect. 
You know, we're Christians. We're called to be authentic. We have a real struggle. We have a real battle we deal with. And with God, he helps us in that area of our life. But we still have to go out and live what we believe. And the second pitfall, in the second half, look at the end of verse 12. It says, what was he doing? He was fearing the party of the circumcision. He was fearing the party of the circumcision. The second pitfall of hypocrisy is this. When, the fear, when we fear man more than we fear God. That is the second pitfall of hypocrisy. See, Peter thought hypocrisy is like a, um, it's like a snowball effect. It's like a bomb. It goes off in a room. It happens, but it affects so many different areas of our life. It affects so many different areas of our life that um, the second one, the second area it does is when we fear man more than we fear God. Peter was intimidated. He was scared. He was like, whoa, there's the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem that are, that are up under James, and they're coming here. And no doubt they had this religious mindset, this Jewish mindset, and they're bringing their Jewish mindset, and Peter felt the pressure of it, and he bent to it by, by the, as the scripture says, holding himself aloof from the Gentiles. The fear of man will cause you and I, it will, actually it will keep us from standing for the truth is what it'll do. When we succumb to the fear of man in our Christian walk, and um, it will cause us to, to, to waffle. It'll cause us to waffle. It'll keep us from standing for the truth. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Look at that verse. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. In other words, the fear of man in your walk with Christ will cause you to stumble. A snare, we think about a trap out in the woods that the, the, the deer or the animals step on and it clamps onto their leg and it doesn't let them go. That's what a snare is. That's what a snare is. And that's what the fear of man does. But it says, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe talks about resting our hearts resting at the end of the day when, when we when we take a stand and we're not fearful of man but we're, we, we fear God it says it says um, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe talking about being in his presence having peace of mind having peace in our hearts that we've done the right thing and we didn't um, we didn't fear man let's look at verse 13 verse 13 we see the third pitfall of hypocrisy. It says, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. You know, there was a large Jewish uh, Christian group there at Antioch that were committed to Christ, that were committed to grace, and it says it even, it even dragged them away. And it, look, it says, and even Barnabas, Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. The third the third pitfall I see in the text of hypocrisy is this. It'll cause other people to fall away. When people see, peop when people see uh, Christians saying one thing but then deliberately living the opposite, it disillusions people. It disillusions people and it causes people to turn away from Christ. Barnabas, 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 Barnabas. Acts 11.24 says, uh, says he was a pastor. He was a teacher. He's even named as an apostle. This is one of the apostles 
of the New Testament that got led astray. If an apostle can be led astray, guess what? You and I have the ability to be led astray. You and I have the ability to, to succumb. There's a reason. There's a reason the Bible compares us to sheep. There's a, there's a reason the, the Bible compares us to sheep. It's because we as human beings, we're so easily influenced. We're so easily influenced. We, we're, we're so easy just to go with the flow, to go with the flow and just, just kind of float down the river with everybody else without thinking. But my friend, God has given us his word. He's given us his word so that we can know truth from error, so that we can live according to his ways, so that we can avoid these pit, the pitfalls of hypocrisy. And I don't, no matter who you listen to, no matter who you listen to, no matter what TV preacher, what conference you go to, um, what radio preacher you listen to, as you're listening to me right now, you should examine everything by Scripture. Be like the Bereans who diligently studied the scripture to make sure that everything that the apostle Paul was saying was true. My friend, if Paul can be scrutinized by the scripture, all men can be scrutinized by the scripture. And we need to be careful. We can't just go with the flow because it will cause other people um, to, to fall away. And that's one of the number one reasons why we, we see people will leave the church and fall away. I don't, I don't think it's a good reason because I think you got your eyes on the wrong person. You should have your eyes on Jesus and not man. But unfortunately, we see that in the church today is that people fall away because of something that someone did and hypocrisy in, in the area of leadership. You know, and I always, you know, it's wrong. It causes people to fall away. And that person that committed the sin needs to repent and get it right with God. But I'd also say to the other person, man, please, Troy, put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man will let you down, but God will not. God will not let you down. So the third pitfall of hypocrisy is it causes others to fall away, and we don't want that to happen. Verse 14, he says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? He's calling him out. Peter, you're being two-faced. Peter is not being straightforward. In Peter's mind and heart, let's show him some grace. Okay, let's show him some grace. Okay, right now, let's show Peter some grace. Because he had been growing up. Prior to getting saved, he had been growing up in, the legal, in legalism and following the traditions of man and following the law. And now he's at this point in the New Testament, in the early church, where he's waffling. He's waffling between legalism and grace. He's waffling. And the fourth, the fourth pitfall of hypocrisy, based on verse 14, is, is this. We're not straightforward with the truth of the Bible. We're not straightforward when people ask us. Now, if you don't know, you don't know. But if someone comes to you and asks a question, well, well, Jeff, what does the Bible say about this? And if you know it, tell them. And, and, and don't be ashamed of it. When people ask, we can say, well, this is what God says in his word. 
This is what the Bible teaches. And this is what we stand on. Clear, straightforward teaching. Now, uh, Ephesians uh, 4.15 says we need to do it in the spirit of love. We need to do it in the spirit of compassion. Not judgmentally, but very lovingly. But we got to speak the truth in love. And, and, my, and my position is this. When somebody asks me what the Bible says, we just speak the truth in love and we let the chips fall where they may. Because that's the most important thing when people are seeking spiritual guidance or seeking things in their life, that's the most important thing is that they get the truth of what the word says. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for correction, for training, and for, for people to be, uh, I think it's rebuked, but for training men, godly men and women, so they'll know. So we have to be straightforward about the, what the, the truth of God's word. Now, let's ask the question in verse 14. What is the truth that, that the Apostle Paul is referring to in verse 14? What he's saying is, um, there's not a, what he's saying in a nutshell, because some of Paul's language is, hard, is difficult to, to understand, but what he's saying is, to Peter is, there's not a Gentile way to God, and there's not a Jewish way to God. There's not, the Jews go this way to God, the Gentiles go this way to God. He's saying, no, that's not the case. There's one way to God, and it's by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So the fourth one, the fourth pitfall, we're not straightforward with the truth of the Bible. You know, we just got to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love, let the chips fall where they may. And I'm telling you, when that person lays their head on their pillow at night, in the quietness of their soul, they're going to be like, man, she was right. He was right. Because that's what the Bible says. And just be straightforward with it. Verse 15. This is um, one of the biggest pitfalls of hypocrisy. He's going to make a statement of irony here. Verse 15, he says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Verse 15 of Galatians chapter 2, it, it, this statement, it captures the attitude. It captures the attitude of most of the Jewish religious people of that day. And that pitfall then, and that pitfall today, which is number five of the pitfalls of, is prejudice. Being prejudiced. That is a pitfall of hypocrisy. It's the belief that one people group is greater than another. If, if I would for a minute, I did not ask them before service, but Sun June, would you mind stepping up here, brother? Maurice, would you mind stepping up here? And Warren, if you guys would just line up right here, I want to talk about this pitfall called prejudice. You know, it's the belief that one people group is greater than another. And by the way, these guys did not, I forgot to ask you before service. <laughs> you know, just call them out. But they're my brothers, I love them, and I know they don't mind. But prejudice is, is the belief that one people group is greater than another. Listen to Acts 17.26. Acts 17.26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. We have different nations of people throughout the world. But my friend, regardless of your skin color, regardless of where you're from, 
We are one family of human beings. God looks at Sung Jun and Warren the exact same way. And Maurice and Warren and Maurice and Sung Jun. He sees all men, all women one way. In Galatians chapter 3, it says there's neither Greek nor Jew, neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And prejudice has no room in the body of Christ. Prejudice has no room in the body of Christ. Yes, we have different people groups, call them uh, nations, if you will, of different people. But whether you live on the continent of Africa, United States, or wherever, North Pole, South Pole, God sees one family of people with one blood. And we, so what do we do with our different skin colors? What do we do with our, our differences? This is what I believe we do with them. We celebrate them. Amen. We celebrate them and we rejoice in them that Christ Jesus and God, who's our creator, has brought us together as family. Maurice is my brother. Maurice is my brother. And I love that dude. As well as Warren and Sung June. <laughs> but we, but we got to love one another. We're family. Regardless of where you're from or, or what people, group, or nation, we, the, 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 we are one family. The gospel breaks down all racial barriers. He, uh, we are one family. We all stand equal before God. And the scripture is unequivocal. Throughout the New Testament in multiple places, God shows no partiality towards any men or women or people. He expects the same of all men and women of all people groups of all throughout the planet to put their trust in him and to live for him. One of the great verses, I don't want to go into it this morning, but if you want to make a note of it, jot down Ephesians 2.14 and go home and study that verse. And what Ephesians 2.14 talks about is how specifically in the gospel, now, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Gentiles would be a part of God's plan. But Ephesians 2.14, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that, that Jesus has abolished all the barriers that divided the Jews and the Greeks. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. We are one family. We are one family. And the fifth pitfall of hypocrisy is, is prejudice. Peter is, is exhibiting a prejudice, whether he realizes it or not, when he's straddling the fence between, between the Gentiles at Antioch and the Jews coming. And we can't. That can't be part of our walk. That can't be part of us. So there you have it. You have the five pitfalls of hypocrisy. Remember, it's, it's, it goes into a room, it blows up, and it has multiple effects. And those are the five effects of hypocrisy based on the text that we're looking at this morning. So verses 11 through 15 is the situation. I love how God's word is laid out. Love it, love it, love it. God presents to us in his word this major problem, this major issue. And I love how there's, there's going to be a sharp cutoff from verses 15 to verses 16 because now God is going to give us the solution. The solution. The fix it. How do you fix it? How do you, how do you fix it? Look at, let's look at verses 16 through 21 and see how God says to fix it. 
He goes into the gospel. Verse 16, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh, uh, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, the book of Galatians was the first book penned by the Apostle Paul, and here we have in these verses right here, we have Paul's first pinnings of the doctrine of justification by faith. What is the doctrine, what is this doctrine of justification by faith? It, the justification by faith, the, the doctrine of justification, is where God looks at Sarah and says, you are innocent. He declares, it's not something that you work, it's not something that Monica works on, it's not something that she, her goal or she strives to, it's where when Monica puts her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father says, forgiven, free. There's, there's no sin against your account. Let me make, let me, uh, I, I've shared this illustration before. I'm going to share it one more time for those who haven't heard it. Imagine you are in a court of law down at Lexington County, Richland County, wherever. Imagine you're in a court of law and you go stand before the judge. You're guilty of a crime. You name the crime. You figure it out. Whatever, whatever crime, you're guilty. You go stand before the judge. You're guilty of a crime. And the judge looks at you and says, do you have anything to say before I pass, pass sentence? And you say, no, Your Honor, I, I don't. I have nothing to say. I, I'm guilty. There's a fine that's got to be paid because of what you've done. You look back at your family. You're crying. They're crying. You're fixing to get put away, or you're fixing to pay a big fine that you have no money to pay for. And the judge is fixing to drop the gavel. And then all of a sudden, the back doors open up, and someone comes bursting into the courtroom and says, wait a minute, Your Honor, wait a minute. I'll write the check. I'll pay the fine. He goes up to the judge. He writes the check. He presents it to the judge. Here's the fine that, that you were going to impose on him. Judge says, the fine has been paid. Mr. Howell, you're a free man. You're free to go. How would you feel towards that person who wrote that check? How would you feel? He paid your fine. You're free to go. You're not going to jail. You're not paying the fine. You're free. My friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross at Calvary, he went before the judge of the universe and paid your fine for your sin. You and I were guilty of breaking God's law, of breaking God's commandments. And Jesus Christ stepped into the eternal courtroom and said, Your Honor, God the Father, I will pay his price with this check, and this check is my blood at Calvary. And you're free to go. That is the doctrine of justification by faith, where he, he pronounces you innocent, free. You ain't got to work it off. It's completely covered by Jesus Christ. That is the doctrine of justification. And this is the doctrine that Paul is so riled up about that, that, that Peter's going to waffle between the law and grace. No, we are saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone based on his death on Calvary. The solution to hypocrisy, 
into all these different dynamics going in different directions is this, is being fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Is being fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. And this is a doctrine that's really, um, it's a beautiful doctrine that's developed very heavily in the book of Romans and in Galatians, and there's some talk of it, uh, I believe, in Ephesians. But it's a beautiful doctrine. And here's the deal. Dan didn't do nothing for it. Jesus did. Jesus did. So the solution is we trust in Christ and we cling to him. And it says there, uh, since by the works of the there it is, guys. Look at the end of verse 16, just in case anybody has any doubt. The last eight words, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. There's no good works that we can do to get to heaven or be right before him. It's based on him. Verse 17, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Pastor David, what in the world is the Apostle Paul saying in these two verses? Um, what he's saying is this. Once a believer is saved, once they come into this right relationship with Jesus, why would you go back to the law is what he's saying once you've come into this right standing before God through Jesus Christ and you've experienced this wonderful grace this wonderful justification why would you go back to legalism why would you go back to legalism uh, why why would why rebuild why rebuild the old system right there at the beginning of verse 18 for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, why would you rebuild the old system of legalism, of being under the law? The law just brings condemnation. The law, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, just shows us why we need Jesus. Now, friend, in 2018, this is not an issue for us. For the most part, Christians living in, in Irmo, Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina today, the thought of, David, I have never had no issues with wanting to go back to the law. I've never understood the thought of going back up under some kind of legalistic um, law system. But here's what you do. Here's what we do struggle with. That we do have a tendency and a temptation to go back to once we became saved. Once a person becomes a believer and they understand grace and they understand faith... Ours isn't legalism, I believe, but I believe ours is tradition. It is, is, is tradition and religion. We come into a right relationship with God. We're experiencing this awesome joy, this fantastic relationship with him. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been made white as snow. But then slowly over time, and it's a slow fade. I've been there. I've been there. It's happened to me. But slowly over time, we drift slowly towards tradition and towards religion and towards just going through the motions. You know what? Our, our, our relationship with God is not based on tradition. It's not based on religion. It's based on our faith in Christ Jesus and just loving him and surrendering to him. Verse 19, 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. We'll get into this at the end of Galatians chapter 3, the purpose of God's law. God's law shows us our need for a Savior, but we'll get there in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 20 and 21, a beautiful, magnificent verse. This, you see this verse on people's walls and stores. It's an awesome verse, life verse. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Christ died needlessly. I believe what we have here in verse 20 is this. We have the keys. We have the keys to the car in verse 20. We have the keys to putting legalism, religion, and hypocrisy to death. These, these are the keys. In verse, in verse 20, we have, you can count them. We have seven personal pronouns where Paul is giving his testimony. This is what the gospel has done to me. Not only has it done it for Paul, but he'll do it for us and in us. Four questions. Seven personal pronouns, four questions. I'm going to close as we're going to break down verse 20. He says there, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what he says there. My friend, a death, a death takes place when we come face to face with Calvary. When we see Jesus Christ by faith high and lifted up on the cross, understanding that it's for our sin, a death takes place. And that death is in us. The old David, he passed away in 1992. He got buried in Norfolk, Virginia, when he gave his life to Christ. A burial took place. He says, I, Paul says, I, look at, he says, look at he says, I have been crucified with Christ. My friend, have you been crucified with Christ? In other words, have you laid the old life down? Has the old life been laid down and crucified? Then he says there, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you experience this new life, there's a new president on the inside. There's a new resident living inside you that's in charge, and it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. He comes, and he dwells inside. The old you has passed away. The Holy Spirit comes in you. Have you received his Holy Spirit? Is his Spirit dwelling in you? Continuing in verse 20, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This new life in Christ that we so love and is so, so uh, precious to us, it brings faith. It brings faith in God, faith in the future, faith in the promises of God, faith of what Christ has done in us. Many of you are facing difficult situations, difficult times with your family, with your spouse, with your work, and he's given you faith. Let faith arise for the situation you're in because your faith is in Christ Jesus. Let that faith arise. Faith is what the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we need to live by faith, and we need to have faith. 
the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Let everything that, all the faith flow from your faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says there, uh, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, this is what keeps me going. This is what should keep you going. It says, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus loves me, for I know, because the Bible tells me so. That, I love that song we've started singing recently, um, the uh, reckless, reckless, never-ending love of God. It's because of his love. Do we understand that? Do we fathom the truth of this glorious, beautiful gospel that your salvation is not based on what you do, but it's based on what Christ did? And as we see this morning, um, it was the doctrine of justification by faith was so important to Paul back then that he had to confront Peter. You know, I love the story of Peter. Peter's, the story of Peter in the Bible should bring us hope. It brings me hope because we see this roller coaster. You know, he steps out on water. He starts to sink. Jesus picks him up. He denies Christ. First off, he says, I will never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. He denies him. Then Jesus restores him on the Sea of Galilee. We see this roller coaster in Peter's life, and it should bring us hope in our Christian walk that God is not finished with us, and he still wants to do a great and mighty work. Amen? And I close with this morning. If there's anyone here do, I, I, that, that maybe you don't know Christ, and my question to you is, do you know grace? Do you know God's wonderful, I love that song we sing, Amazing Grace. He will lavish it on you. He will lavish it on you. All you have to do is turn to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a blessed week. Happy Father's Day, fathers. And uh, you are loved at Calvary Chapel, and we're very thankful for everyone that's here. And um, if we can minister in any way, or if you have any questions about the ministries at Calvary Chapel, please don't hesitate to ask myself or the leaders.